Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. Yes, I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law, and with me, as always, Ellie Mistal. I swam here today. Did you really? It's very wet and cold outside. Ah, yes, yes, yes. It is, uh, yeah, it's cold. Well, it's not actually all that cold, I mean, compared to the weekend. Well, I still haven't warmed up from the weekend. My boiler broke over the weekend, Ooh, and that was that was a problem. <laughs> Yeah. Pretty much only for me. Like, we have a fireplace, and so the kids and people were able to huddle around the fireplace, but the fireplace is very far away from my office, so. Wow. And and you were diligently working over the weekend. I brought you, uh, I had frostbite to bring you some of these takes. Interesting. Yeah, no, um, I'd be very interested to see some of that output uh, from the weekend <laughs> uh, from an editorial perspective. So, uh, yeah, so... We are here, as always. Uh, we would be remiss not to begin by thanking Smith AI, our sponsor, who is a virtual receptionist service for lawyers. So thank you to Smith AI. We'll be talking a little bit more about them in a minute. But first, Ellie, you um, you have some things to complain about? Yeah. Um, white people. Well, right. Specifically. But, okay, good. I was going to say, like... All. Specifically, I mean, it can be all. I sometimes it is yeah. all, but this, but this week specifically, um, is the white media in the personage of Savannah Guthrie and um, the Today Show. Yeah. Um, if you're not aware, they they had an interview. This we're recording a couple days before we record this with uh, Nick Sandman, who's the uh, Covington Catholic smirking white boy teen last scene uh, trying to block a Native American um, who was uh, attempting to to go to the Lincoln Memorial. I'm sure you've seen the video. I'm sure you've seen the extended video that shows like three random black people saying like horribly mean things to the children, um, to the kids. And you maybe have even seen the extended, extended video, which shows those same group of Covington Catholic boys taunting women, um, one of them saying, it's not rape if you enjoy it. So yeah. depending on which video or which angle or which whatever you, you, you see, what is indelible in the hippocampus is Nick Sandman smirking in front of Nathan Phillips, a Native American, while his buddies laughed and carried on and tomahawk chopped at this Native American. Yeah. So, of course, the white media decided that we needed to hear more from Nick Sandman. Like, that that was the decision that Nick Sandman needed in his own interview to clear up some of the confusion about his actions. Sandman, as we now know, hired a PR firm um, to, to do some crash course media training before his interview. And Savannah Guthrie gave him the most softball interview possible. I was shocked that a grown-ass professional reporter was so flummoxed by a teenager's crash course PR strategy. Um, they let him up here on their program without wearing his racist hat. Um, uh, which I which I thought was unfortunate, um, and presented him just like a a normal kid who, and I'm quoting him here, 
had every right to stand there. So here's where we talk about why we need more cultural competency in the media, not just more diversity in the media, but just more cultural competency from even the white people who are in the media, right? Because if you are an African-American, pretty much any minority, or any white person who has been goddamn paying attention, when the 17-year-old kid says, I have every right to stand there, when the 17-year-old kid makes the George Zimmerman defense for why he was allowed to deny access to a person of color, that's the point where you, the interviewer, need to start pushing back. Yeah, That is the point where you need to say something and point out that this smirking idiot is now using the exact same language to justify his actions that other people have used to destroy black youths his age. And none of that was in the Today Show interview. None of that was coming from Savannah Guthrie. Um, all we got is is Nick Sandman's side of the story. If you've read me um, over the past week, you will know I am cut up about that because as a father of two black boys, I get to know that my kid's side of the story is not going to make it to the Today Show. The rush to judgment for my kids happens in five seconds when the cop shows up. Mm-hmm. We don't get to the, my kids aren't gonna get to the Guthrie interview. And I just think that that's all a terribly unfortunate example of where we are with the media in this country to say nothing of the racist MAGA crap that's started it all. Well, before we get any further on that, to read more about Ellie's thoughts on this, I believe you have a post in The Nation that deals with this. Yeah, I did an op-ed in The Nation Excellent. as well. There we go. So, so check that out for a more extended take on this. Yeah, uh, Savannah, who is I absolutely an above-the-law reader, so we'll credit her there, but this was a major, major screw-up, uh, I believe, journalistically, to offer any kind of platform for this sort of thing because ultimately it's about it's about being hacked like there there's an effort underway to hack the media and they found it and they said you have to talk to us as part of both sideism and what they ended up getting was you know, everything that they could have possibly wanted a puff piece that tries to excuse i mean my favorite part of the whole thing was the was the social media reaction about, well, if you watch this video, it's okay, because they were taunted first. And I was like, so, I mean, my my maybe there are more videos. The video of that that I saw was they got yelled at by some of the um, lost tribe of Israel, the black yes. men who believe they're, they're uh, from Israel. And they, I don't know if you've never seen them, they, they it, it's a few black guys who look like they're, you know, extras from an off-brand version of Harry Potter, and <laughs> they talk a lot about Israel, which they are, there's some kind of religious zeal to it, but mostly what they do is troll people. But for everybody who tried to defend these folks based on that interchange, their argument is implicitly, see, some robe-wearing black dudes said something, so therefore it was entirely reasonable for white kids to go after Native Americans. Right? Like, that's that's like, the implicit argument, which seems almost to be saying more than anything else could right? about what's wrong here. Once black people piss me off, I get to do whatever I want. Right. Is to what anybody. they're arguing. Yeah. I, if I, if I remember uh, somebody I know put that up, and I just watched it and went, I think this is a very says some very troubling things about what you think 
the lines, the connected dots here that's going on in your head is very troubling to me. But alas, uh, so let's, that that's that. Let's uh, talk about something positive. Well, you know, we can talk about something positive, which is, you know, what to do if you're missing calls. If you're missing calls. Are you spread too thin? Interruptions kill your productivity, but clients demand a quick response. The U.S.-based professional receptionists at Smith AI help law firms screen new clients and schedule appointments by phone and website chat. Plus, Smith AI integrates with your software, including Clio and LawPay. Plans start at just $60 per month. Get a free trial at smith.ai. You need that smith.ai because you don't want to miss the call that could be your love connection. Well, there you go. Yeah, and I, yeah, good. I mean, I, I thought I'd already won the Segway game, no, but I, you couldn't let that go. No. I, I mean, I, I'm like your personal David Fahrenheit or something. Ooh, inside joke. Um, I spiked the football with the Segway game, and I want to talk about my favorite story that we wrote this week. That oh, was good. written on our site this week. Rarely uh, for me, it's not something that I wrote um, that I like. <laughs> um, Catherine wrote about love and making a love connection at law school. Um, it's this very kind of cute story about a law professor who's, who teaches a section where apparently people hook up. I mean, like a lot that has produced a lot of, of happy uh, relationships. Um, and that kind of got us into discussion about finding love at law school. Did you find love at law school, Joe? Did you, did you find that girl sitting next to you in one L section? I mean, uh, n- no, I mean, no, I mean, oh, no, like I, certainly. Um, well, I mean, depends. What, what do you define as one L section? Do you define the bar across the street? Because yes, um, <laughs> but no, uh, yeah, no, like I, of course, of course, I frequented the bar across the street, but I wouldn't consider that, you know, anything particularly serious. I think law school is an interesting place to find to find a life partner, right? So, uh, full disclosure, I met my wife in college, so we did go to law school together, but we became friendly um, before law school. I think it's an interesting place to make um, a love connection because there's something about law school, especially one L year, where only other people who are going through it really understand what you're going through. It's different than college. Everybody's been to college. Everybody can kind of empathize with like a college junior, right? Like we kind of all have been there. I don't think it's particularly important whether or not you're a college junior at a state school or a private school or an Ivy school. There's a commonality to that experience that kind of goes across the nation. The commonality of the 1L experience, while I think it is common across various law schools, is very limited to like being a 1L and and having your mind kind of changed and warped and assaulted in the way that law schools do uh, to 1Ls. And so I feel like finding a way to find love while your entire worldview is being challenged, um, I think that's a beautiful thing. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean... Well, I, does I, that I, not melt your hard heart? No. But um, I mean, no. I I try. I I, I have exactly. I'm entirely unmoved by all of this. Um, yes, there are peop- weaker people who, when they are uh, facing trauma like that, 
end up. It's it happens in action movies somewhere in the middle <laughs> when they're being shot at, they get together. I suppose that happens. It's a huge part of the plot point of speed. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> right? It's I okay, but no. Uh, yes, yeah, so incredibly traumatic experience, which first year of law school is. This can happen, sure. Uh, yeah. I would have found it hard to date a woman while I was a one owl who did not understand my joke about how she was an attractive nuisance. Oh my god! Right? My lines would not have worked on a woman. I'm pretty who confident not... they wouldn't have worked anyway, dude. Dude, I'm married. I have two kids. They worked. All right, mm. it works. Maybe not that particular. I mean, you know, I, overall, the overall presentation works. That with somebody that you'd already known. That you you, yeah. you you don't think that you, you never yeah. used the attractive nuisance line? Yeah, I don't think it was gonna play well, no. I mean I've used that line like for real. You have? Yeah. To Christine. To to my wife. Oh. Okay. Okay. It worked. I mean she didn't leave. Right. Okay. So so we're defining worked <laughs> by she has not in fact left. Which I think basically is true of any law joke other than I've got you by adverse possession, which probably Ooh, would. That's more of a Kavanaugh love joke. Ooh, see, that's interesting. You took it that way, that which, which, fair enough. I was taking it more the you met her in college and you're now old, so uh, oh, so now she's kind of stuck. <laughs> I was taking it that direction. You took it a whole different way, and I fully agree. You you probably are right, and I cheerfully withdraw. Uh, we should stop talking about this until Catherine or any woman can come on the show. Yeah, uh, but no. Um, so yeah, so you you enjoyed that story. That was my favorite story of the week. What was your favorite story, Joe? So my favorite story is a feel-good story on one level, but on a deeper level, I think it raises some interesting questions for analysis, and so I'll go into it. It's a law school story. The University of Virginia School of Law, they have a professor who has been running a multi-year survey trying to track results and satisfaction of graduates over a long period of time. So the class of 1990 who at this point, yeah, we're a very long time, almost 30 years of data. He's been following the class, and first of all, the response rate is almost more impressive than what the responses were. He's getting roughly 85% responses, which, let's be honest, if a law school came at me and said, hey, please write back this little note, I would probably not do that. Uh, and I liked law school. So <laughs> they're getting a huge response rate. And ultimately, what the responses show is that they're getting, you know, roughly 90% or better of the people are happy. Really? Yeah. Very interesting. Very happy with their I mean, careers. How, how far are popped collars really going to take you? Yeah. I mean, it, it shows that you can, you know, you can go a long way with a popped collar. And actually, I'm going to get to that in a minute. But on the one hand, you know, good for Virginia. Whatever kind of culture they're growing there, it seems to make people relatively happy. Uh, the fact that it's a public school and therefore for in-state folks is a little lower priced, so that could be helpful too. But the first bit of analysis, and I go into this in the article, that I think demands to be thought through is what's elided in the discussion is that when they went to school in 1990 – do you have any guess how expensive uh, law school would have been in 1990? Adjusted for for inflation, adjusted for for either. I'll take 2019 dollars. I'll take either. In 2019 dollars, I'll say 15,000. Yeah. Uh, no. So 
I mean, potentially, but you're in a sort of ballpark. But I will say that the ABA says that public schools, the average public school, not to say that UVA is average, but the average public school in 1990 was charging $3,200 uh-huh. a year for tuition, uh, which was rounded up by, by inflation to 6000 or so. <sighs> Which is ridiculous, right? Christ. We we have people paying way, you know, thirty, forty thousand, up to sixty thousand for law school these days. UVA was more expensive than that average, but still, you're right. They were paying somewhere in the neighborhood of eleven to twelve thousand uh, dollars at the time. So maybe it is roughly around. It's probably around probably lower 20. than just a bit. Low. Yeah, but that's re- yeah, and that's what I think needs to be said is that there is a. Not to say that UVA isn't making people happy, but part of being happy with your career 30 years out from 1990 is that you were never robbed of the ability to pursue other opportunities early in your career to move your career where you wanted to go because you didn't have debt hanging over you that limited where you're going. We all applaud the salary increases that these big law firms are giving, but relative to the amount of debt people are piling up, those increases aren't keeping pace. And you come out and you are locked in for longer than these folks were to those jobs. One of the things I like to say is that, and people don't understand this, law school used to be about the cost of buying a car. Yeah. Right, right. Like a, a really nice car. That if you wrecked it, or if it you know got totaled, or if it just stopped, if it was a Jaguar and just wouldn't start one day, like you'd be out some money, you'd you'd feel some pain if that bet didn't pay off. But it was the pain of my car got wrecked. Mm. Now law school is like buying a house, and if you think about the economic hit to your life, if the house you bought is a lemon. If you end up not being able to afford your mortgage, if you end up underwater on your loans to pay back your house, it's a completely different level of stress and and just uh, completely limits your financial abilities in a way that a bad car never could. Yeah, uh, it, it's like yeah, and that's that's something that I just think people need to think through, and the profession as a whole needs to think through. If we really believe that law school has to be more expensive than it was back in the day, which I'm not sure we should believe. But if we really believe that, we need to start thinking through what that does to the profession as a whole and what we can do to make people be happier. And alternatively, we need to have a serious look at maybe law school shouldn't be as expensive as it is. And just so see future deans of admissions using this study to say like, oh, look how happy you'll be if you go to law school without doing the inflation adjustment, without explaining to students what kind of crushing levels of debt they're taking on now that they weren't taking on 30 years right. ago. But above and beyond inflation. Inflation, we've outpaced by orders of magnitude. Yeah, and, and exactly. I definitely see this as being fuel for marketing in ways that are troubling to me. What's the second dark underside of the study? The second one, I didn't really get into this in the article, but I wanted to raise it here, is UVA... How do we put this politely? All their students were white? More or less, yeah. (laughs) Uh, UVA has a not great history when it comes to diversity. They don't have an editor-in-chief of color of their law review ever, as far as I know, uh, which is unique among the top schools. The picture of the class of 1990 that accompanies the story has, I believe, two people of color in it, uh, judging from a distance. Uh, And... There is something to be said for the way in which structural racism works. You're probably getting better opportunities, especially back in the early 90s, 
if you were a white kid from the South going into a legal job. Uh, at which point, yeah, it doesn't shock me that those folks are more satisfied. You know? Yeah. No. I, I look. It's 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 a fair point. I would. This is going to be weird for me. I wouldn't mm-hmm. make too much of it because UVA historically lack diversity, we're not going to be able to have those good statistics Mm -hmm. showing happiness delta between white graduates of UVA 30 years ago and black graduates of UVA 30 years ago because there were no black graduates of UVA 30 years ago except for like one or two people, right? Um, So we can't know for sure that their happiness quotient um, would be negatively effective in this study. I, we can assume that it might be. But what we really don't know is how current diversity initiatives are going to play out over the next 30 years, right? Because even as law schools try to become more diverse, the question is, is the legal profession becoming more diverse? Are there more opportunities for mentorship and advancement for lawyers of color a minority lawyers and women lawyers than there were 30 years ago, and how that's going to ultimately affect people's long, long-term career happiness. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I think that's very true. And, like, again, I, I don't want to necessarily, like you say, I don't want to, you know, necessarily say that that's a, a bad thing, but even if it's not negatively affecting, there's something to be said for just the positive affecting is, is more likely. I mean, like, you talk about uh, you in the you know, not 90s, but, you know, mm-hmm. you are old. Uh, you going to a law firm uh, that is unnamed, but, and being mistaken as somebody who was working in the mailroom, right, right on right. an interview. That that sort of thing is the sort of thing that might lead somebody who graduated in the 90s to not be as happy with law. And that's a thing that white folks don't deal with. And so, generally speaking, I think it's, you'd find, independent of what school or whatever, not even discussing the negative feelings that people of color might have, but that white people don't have nearly as many opportunities to be angry at their job as as befall people of any applicants of color. And so that's why I think you're always going to find, aside from everything else, a slight push towards more positive results over time when you're dealing with a response group that is mostly white in this particular profession over those particular years. Right. And again, my question is, is anybody in the legal profession going to do anything about that? Right. Because it's, because it's the, the, we talk about the pipeline problem sometimes about, you know, firms who are, who are, who want diversity, but kind of cannot claim they cannot find diverse candidates. Mm -hmm. Big part of that pipeline problem is the retention problem. They get their, they get the diverse candidates in the door. They can't keep them in the door. Right. Um, and there are various reasons for that, none of which are that minorities are dumber. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. There are a lot of there are a lot of reasons for why minorities do not, even if they survive, do not thrive in these environments. And law firms still haven't figured still haven't figured out the answer to retaining the diverse candidates they get from a now committed to diversity UVA. Right. Yeah. So it it obviously isn't the you know necessarily the 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 lead to the story, but it's something that I think everyone should consider whenever they see these sorts of stories. Is like look at it from all these angles uh, because they're all kind of there and deserve to be given some attention. And again, if you're rich and white and your father can afford law school for you, 
UVA is probably a pretty good school. Well, right. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, if, 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 if you could afford it, you don't even need to go to a public school uh, like UVA. You could uh, you could go visit the the good people up at Harvard where, you know. Back to my David Fahrenheit problem. Yeah, all those. Yeah. Um, all right, guys. Uh, I think that's it for us. Can we have one more technical difficulty before we leave? I mean, the listeners have no idea that we had technical difficulties. Like, <laughs> seamlessly, we have managed to make it seem like nothing happened there. Yes. Yes, yeah. but oh my, dear dear <laughs> listeners, there were some technical difficulties here, uh, but we we got through it uh, like champs with the help of our folks at Legal Talk Network, which brings us to our sign off. Let's begin this time with thanking the Legal Talk Network. You should listen to all of their shows, give them reviews and ratings, just like you should give reviews and ratings of our show. You should be reading Above the Law, following us on Twitter. He's at L-E-N-Y-C. I'm at Joseph Patrice. You should be listening to The Jabot, which is our colleague, Catherine, who we mentioned on this show, her podcast. You should be... What else can you be doing? Reading The Nation. Read that Nation post. You gotta read. You gotta... Follow us on social media, and you gotta like the podcast. If you're doing those three things, we love you. Yeah, I mean, uh, and I'm not, I'm not putting aside the possibility that we love you. Alternatively, I mean, you seem like from this podcast, you seem like super into lovey sorts of things. I, I don't really care, but, um, but if you you're s- doing those three things, we love you. And if you liked my attractive nuisance joke. I love you. Right. Okay. There you go. So let him know if you like that attractive nuisance joke. And finally, and most importantly, thanks to Smith AI for sponsoring us. And with that, we will sign off for now. We'll uh, talk again in the future. Peace. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.